Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, I'm talking with Kate Rope. She is an award-winning journalist and author of the book, Strong as a Mother, How to Be Happy, Healthy, and Most Importantly, Sane, From Pregnancy to Parenthood. Um, Kate, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. So what inspired you to write this book? Um, So it came directly from my personal experience. Uh, I have two daughters, and after the birth of my first daughter, I experienced postpartum anxiety, um, but I didn't know that that was a thing, so it took me a long time to get help for it. And um, once I did and once I felt better and I started researching mental health issues related to um, pregnancy and parenting, Um, I started realizing how little good information there was out there about the emotional transition to being a mom and and how little support there was for uh, women going through the transition, whether they become pregnant and give birth or adopt. Um, So I wanted to write a book that kind of um, normalized that this is a huge life-changing transition and, and it's inevitable there will be some struggle in there and it's just a question of what your struggle looks like and what support you need. So... It could be that you're just having trouble sleeping or managing co-parenting with your partner, or it could be that you're experiencing a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder like I did, and you need professional help for it, and one struggle is not better than another. Um, it's just a question of getting you the right support, and I wanted to write a book that normalized that and that offered that support. Well, you know, I definitely agree with you. There's um, there's not a lot of information out there, especially about postpartum. I find, uh, you know, people come to me because they don't feel good and it's actually been going on longer than a year and it, it, their doctor just, you know, told them it was normal and when I assess them, it sounds like they've had postpartum depression or anxiety or PTSD for that long and, and it just got, you know, kind of pushed under the rug, oh, you're not sleeping, your life is different, you just don't understand and and doctors aren't, aren't listening to women's concerns even when they do recognize there's something not right, they go to their doctor or, or they don't because because they don't realize. And I think it's important to get that information out there so that, um, you know, women or their partners can can recognize that there, something can happen and it doesn't matter how prepared you are for it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, the awareness that, that things can happen and then the understanding that it's common um, is another thing. A lot of women, um, if they're struggling, um, you know, whether or not it's a diagnosable condition, just if they're struggling in new motherhood or during pregnancy, they feel like they shouldn't be. They feel like this should be the happiest time of their life. And they feel like they're the only person experiencing that when in fact, as many as 20% of women experience a mood disorder like depression or anxiety during or after pregnancy. Um, and so it's, it's twice as common as gestational diabetes and it's, you know, all women are screened for that during pregnancy and they know that they need to be on the lookout. And if they screen positive, they need to be treated for it. Um, 
Well, you know, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders like postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, OCD, are twice as common as that, and we don't treat them as a major complication. And so it's it's hard for women to recognize when they're experiencing them. It's hard for their partners to recognize it. And a lot of doctors um, aren't looking for the conditions and aren't well-trained either. A lot of healthcare professionals just don't have that information either. And so it's easy to see why someone would wait a year and not realize that that they have a condition that could be so much better with the right treatment. Well, and I also wonder if there, there's some shame on, on the side of the mother that they feel this way, but that, you know, they're supposed to be happy and, you know, they've had the baby that, that they wanted for so long and, or, you know, they just recognize that this is how I'm supposed to feel because I have this child in my life and they don't feel that way. And, and I wonder if that can stop a lot of women from coming forward because they don't realize how common it is. Definitely. I mean, we definitely have this narrative that this is the happiest, most blissful thing that's going to happen in your life. And while it is the most transformative and will bring so much joy, you know, how could it not also bring so much struggle? It's a huge physical undertaking if, if you're pregnant and then give birth. It's a huge psychological undertaking to raise a, a, a baby and a small child. So, and then there's hormones in there uh, for those who are pregnant and give birth. So, um, it makes total sense that, that it would be a big moment in your life that would come with ups and downs, but we don't treat it that way in movies, in the way we talk about it. Um, and so, yeah, I think a lot of women feel like, well, if they're, if they're sad or if they're feeling anger or any of the symptoms that can come with these conditions, they feel like, oh, there must be something wrong with me. Everybody else loves this experience and I don't. But that's not true. Everybody has some degree of struggle and a lot of people have, have big ones that, that can be helped by professionals. So um, I definitely think that uh, that's one of my main messages is that, like, of course, this is a huge change and whatever you feel is okay. And, and there's support for whatever you feel or experience. Well, and definitely, um, I have a, a friend who um, is a fertility specialist in Chinese medicine. And when she was pregnant, she was like, I'm not going to go through this because I know what's going on. And I have all these tools. And she was so blindsided when she did experience postpartum that, um, you know, she thought it couldn't happen to her. And I think it's important to note that no matter how prepared you are and how uh, well you think you're going to deal with it, it's it's about hormone fluctuations. And it, it is something that we don't have a lot of power over, even if we are prepared and have a lot of knowledge. It's It, it can happen. And I think that's really important. Definitely. And I, and I think that's a pretty common story. Um, I know a lot of social workers, psychologists, you know, who say, I should have known but I think it can look different in everybody. And I think also when you're a new mom, everything is new or you have another baby, everything is new. So, and you're not sleeping well. So your ability to sort of look at the situation and, and see it for what it is, is really compromised. Um, and so maybe these fears are just normal new mom fears and maybe they are, but maybe they're not, maybe there's something more, you know? 
So I think there's a lot of ways in which it's easy, even when you're a professional, even when you work in this field, to just not see the signs or take a long time to see them or to want to wish them away and say, oh, Mm -hmm. you know what, I feel feel a little, you know, I've heard a lot of people who, and this is me actually, where, you know, you struggle, but then you get a little bit better. You're like, oh, I'm feeling better, you know, and so it sort of goes up and down, up and down, up and down, and and it takes a long time to realize that on the whole, it's down or it's hard versus it's feeling easier and easier. Yeah, definitely. Now, when somebody, um, you, you talk in your book about when people first find out they're pregnant, but I want to talk about what can happen if you're having difficulty getting pregnant as well, because you're talking about the emotional side. And I know from, from my experience treating people that that one of the things that they run into, of course, is they're trying to get pregnant and let's say they're newly married or they're a certain age and there's pressure from all these sides and people don't realize that they're having difficulty. What can somebody do to deal with that? If they're having trouble getting pregnant? Mm-hmm. In the comments and, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, it's so hard. I mean, I think one of the things that's really hard about, uh, and I have not personally experienced infertility, but I've uh, written a lot of stories and talked with a lot of women who have. And, you know, as a teenager, we were all told that if we looked at a boy the wrong way, we would get pregnant. And um, so we tended to, you know, you grow up thinking this is a really easy thing that can happen almost by accident. (laughs) And then when you try to do it, you realize, oh, it's this really orchestrated thing that requires a lot of stars aligning in order for it to happen. So um, I think there's sort of that where, again, it feels like something's wrong with you if it's taking longer than you thought to get pregnant, and that's really hard. Um, And maybe all your friends are, are, are starting to be pregnant or, you know, and I think in our society, we talk to people a lot of times without really thinking about what we're saying. We want to connect. Our intentions are good, but we're at you know, a dinner party or something. And an easy question to ask someone who's newly married is, are you thinking about having kids or to ask somebody who has a child when, you know, do you guys think you want another, you know, and people don't mean anything by these comments, but you just don't know what the other person is going through and where they are. I mean, maybe they don't even want children and and, and it's a pressured question for that reason. Um, So I think just knowing that it's going to happen and that, that, People mean well, but that doesn't mean you have to, you know, just sit there and, and be uncomfortable in a conversation. You, know, you can say, well, you know, that's something private or um, I'll let you know when we make up our mind about that or um, thanks for asking. I don't really like to talk about it. You know, there's lots of ways to let someone know that their questions aren't going down a road you want to go down. Um, and I think if you are experiencing infertility, professional um, psychological support, you know, therapy and support groups can be so helpful because it can be such an isolating experience and to, and to talk with someone who understands it and to talk with other people perhaps who are going through it can be incredibly validating. So when somebody does um, first find out that they are pregnant, what can they expect in that first little bit? I mean, anything. <laughs> yeah. I think there's emotions and then there's like, how do you feel? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a script. Again, there's a script we think we should follow. But if your script looks different, that's okay. You know, you might be um, 
incredibly excited. You might be shocked. You know, you might have regret. You might feel uncertain. You might have really wanted to get pregnant. And then all of a sudden you are and feel like, oh, no, what have I done? You might feel panic. You know, I think um, it's okay to just understand this is big news and take time with it. Um, And I think a big message of my book, and this starts with, you know, this starts with trying to become pregnant, becoming pregnant, trying to adopt, adopting, is that Whatever you're feeling is okay. Feelings are just information. They're not, they're not good. They're not bad. They don't mean anything about who you are or whether you'll be a good mom or whether you should be a mom. They just mean, they're just information for how you're feeling in that moment. And so I think letting yourself feel them and then following them to see where you go is really the best thing you can do and not judge yourself for them and, and know that they can change, you know, how you feel the moment you look down at a positive pregnancy test may not be how you feel the next morning when you wake up may not be how you feel a week later. Like what, you know, just, it'll probably be a journey. Um, and, and just feelings are just information, (laughs) you know, they're not, they're not good. They're not bad. They're just part of being human. Well, I know that there can be a lot of guilt, let's say, if, if at first you're you're upset, if it's a surprise. And, um, and, and you know, I think a lot of women are hard on themselves if that does happen. Um, and important to know that that doesn't mean you're going to be a bad mother uh, down the road. It just means that you have to deal with something that's come your way. Yeah, exactly. Well, 50% of pregnancies uh, in the U.S. at least are unplanned. So, <laughs> a lot of people have gone have been in your shoes if you're if you're in those shoes so and they probably felt all of the emotions you're feeling um so yeah yeah i definitely think there's no there's there's nothing inherently good or bad about the way you feel it's just it's just you reacting to a situation and and coming to terms with it and seeing what you want to do with the information you've just been given and with the information your feelings are giving you well, and what, one thing I it is important to address as well is is a loss of pregnancy. I think this is uh, more common than than um, people realize if they've never experienced it. Can you just talk about that? Yeah. So um, statistics are range, but as many as fifty percent of pregnancies uh, possibly end in miscarriage, and those are the ones we're talking. You know, losses very very early on before someone would know. Um, the number that usually is talked about when it comes to a miscarriage that someone would be aware of happening is about a third of pregnancies. Um, so a lot of people go through miscarriages, but we don't talk about them. And so, um, I mean, obviously they're just, they can be really difficult in and of themselves. They're, they're a loss. Um, but it's also doubly hard because they're a loss that doesn't get acknowledged by, um, society. You know, if you lose, your father, there's a ritual and people know to say, I'm so sorry about your loss. And there's a funeral and there's um, a procedure that you go through that lets you know that what you're experiencing is a normal human experience. And there's no such thing for miscarriage or stillbirth, I should add, which is more rare that does happen in um, one in 160 births where um, a child uh, is full term, but is, is not born alive or or dies shortly after birth. Um, And so these losses are sort of doubly difficult. They're difficult because they're a loss. Um, and then they're difficult because no one really knows how to support you and you may not know how to talk about it. Um, so I think one thing is just letting people know that a lot of people do go through it. Um, and that whatever you feel again is okay. You know, it's not, 
some people will say, oh, don't worry, you can try again, or oh, good thing it was so early, that's your body's way of getting rid of a, you know, a baby that, that wouldn't have been born healthy. But those aren't really helpful things to say because, you know, there's no, there isn't a correlation between how pregnant you are or when you lose your baby and how you feel about it. Somebody could be two days pregnant and could have experienced tremendous loss because that's been a part of their dream for so long. It's really more about kind of what your anticipation was. And um, so it's more about how you feel about, about the loss than it is about whether it's two weeks or six weeks or, you know, um, or, or longer. So um, I think it's, it's definitely something we should talk about and definitely something that um, women should understand that they totally deserve support for in whatever way feels good for them. Which I think is important. I know that there's been a bit of a trend on social media to to talk about um, loss and, and miscarriage. But I think the only ritual that we really have had up to this point is to not talk about it. Um, you know, it's just something that you're supposed to have in secret. We don't even talk about that we're pregnant for three months. And so if you miscarry, it's a secret and no one knows that that's happened. Um, which in a way, I think the idea is it's supposed to be easier because you're not telling people. But in the same time, time people that would support you don't know what's happened and um, and then you're alone in that even though if you had reached out to your friends and told some people you w- would maybe have more support or a friend saying this happened to me but instead we keep these things a secret and I think that's where a lot of the the problems can come in is the mis- the non-communication about something that's uh, so so horrible to go through yeah and I think it's so individual, you know, for some people. I, and, um, you know, I talk about this in the book when you think about a lot of things related to, um, you know, trying to be become a mom and being a mom. Is what, what works for you, you know? And maybe you're the kind of person who wants to talk about it with a number of people because you find support in that. Or maybe you don't want to leave your house and be worried that several people are going to come up and talk to you about it. You want to be in control of when that conversation is happening. Um, so I think for some people talking about it can be incredibly powerful and healing. And for other people, that's, that's not part of what makes them feel better. But, but I do think those people for whom talking about it um, is a good thing when they do that, that is helpful even for those people who don't want to talk about it because it just gets the word out that this is something, this is a part of, being a woman and trying to become pregnant. It just is. And Mm -hmm. many, many people, many, many people around you have gone through it, whether you know it or not. Um, And so just knowing that is helpful in and of itself. Um, Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Um, We're going to take a quick break. We're talking to Kate Rope and we're discussing her book, Strong as a Mother. We'll be back shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you living a healthy and fit lifestyle? It's not just related to your physical well-being. It also means a healthier mind, confidence, improved health, stamina, and fitness. Talking with Tremaine brings it all to you. Host Tremaine Ellis, along with her husband and co-host David Ellis, will offer support, advice, guidance, and motivation to keep you in your best shape, both physically and mentally. Talking with Tremaine can be heard live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Sometimes it just seems that nobody understands. There's one individual who can help. If you're living with somebody who faces challenges such as autism, Asperger's, or other exceptional needs, you'll want to tune into Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the Challenge. Together, we'll uncover a variety of solutions to the challenges faced by individuals, their families, and teachers. Listen live every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Kate Rope, and we're discussing her book, Strong as a Mother. So, Kate, we talked about postpartum depression, but one thing you mentioned in your book is that mood disorders can happen before you give birth. They can actually start in pregnancy. Can you just, uh, because I think that's not well known at all. Um, And I can imagine if you aren't feeling so great during pregnancy, you're going to also have that same guilt or, or, you know, weirdness about it because you're supposed to be happy that you're pregnant. Um, Can you just tell us what that can look like? Sure, yeah. Um, So so researchers are now um, finding out that as many as 50 to 50% of cases of a postpartum mood disorder, like postpartum mood depression, actually began in pregnancy. Um, And so it's actually a really rich time um, to be aware of your psychological health and for providers to be aware of the health of their patients. Because um, if if they see that that someone is struggling with depression or anxiety or OCD or another uh, disorder during pregnancy, they can actually start to treat it so that it's less likely to turn into a postpartum mood disorder. Um, so I think as we as awareness grows, um, as we increase screenings, hopefully there will be more screenings for mood disorders happening during um, pregnancy. You know, because an obstetrician or a midwife. Um, She's, uh, she's a pregnant woman so often it's a really great opportunity um, to be checking in and to find out if she's struggling. And as you say, um, you know, most people think that they should be blissfully happy during pregnancy. Um, so when they struggle with anything, even severe morning sickness or morning sickness, you know, they feel like they're not living. I mean, they feel like they're not living up to other people's expectations of what pregnancy looks like. And often it can be disappointing to them um, because this is not what they thought pregnancy would be. And I know for me during my first pregnancy, I had some medical difficulties and it was very disappointing because I had always wanted to be a mom and it's like one of the things I've looked forward to and thought about when I was falling asleep, you know, my whole life. And here pregnancy was not what I pictured. And um, and I definitely had a lot of anxiety during pregnancy and, and actually did start seeing a psychotherapist halfway through my pregnancy. Um, 
but that was kind of like a precursor to my postpartum anxiety, which became much more severe after my daughter was born. Um, yeah. So, um, I, I think, especially when you're talking about even just having difficulty, I think Kate Middleton um, of the Royal British Family brought, um, you know, that she had a lot of difficulty. She was hospitalized. And I, I think that that was um, good to have that publicized because other women that struggled um you know, it was there for them to realize it doesn't matter what position you're in, you can still struggle. And it's okay to to be in, in that position, which I think is great for us to hear. I think a lot of women's health issues and pregnancy for a long time, they were a secret. And it's really good now that that they're not so much so that we can know what we're experiencing at this time is normal. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, she had hyperemesis gravidarum, which is a very extreme form of morning sickness, and it usually lasts the whole pregnancy, and, and it can lead to severe dehydration and other health problems, which is why women sometimes need to be hospitalized for it. Um, and I talked with, um, so I interviewed experts for my book, but I also surveyed more than 200 women, and uh, many women who'd experienced the same condition felt sort of um a little bit robbed of the pregnancy experience they wanted. And I mean, it can be so severe that women can consider terminating their pregnancies um, and it can be life threatening. And so um, there can be a lot of shame. I mean, if you, if you feel so awful that, that you feel like maybe you want to end your pregnancy, that can, that can be really difficult for women to experience. So um, I had a whole section in my book, um, not just talking about hyperemesis, but talking about just when you have complications during pregnancy in general and, um, and how to manage those and sort of work through the feelings that you have that you're not like the other pregnant women out there or there's something wrong with you that, that you're not, you know, loving every minute of it. Um, I have a story in there. I had, um, during my first pregnancy, I had inflammation around my heart, mysterious inflammation. It's not a typical pregnancy complication, but um, they didn't know what it was. And at one point I ended up being hospitalized for it um, before they figured out what it was. And so I spent three days in the hospital and I remember that week getting out of the hospital and going to a prenatal yoga class. And we sat around in the class and said what our, you know, intention was for the practice or our hopes or something. And all the women there were like, I, you know, I can't wait for my natural birth to be like this, or I'm just really looking. And I just was like, I just want my baby to be born healthy. Like I've just come out of the hospital and I felt so alienated. I felt like they were having the, the beautiful pregnancy experience I wanted to have. And that, and that, you know, the media says I should be having. And here I was just feeling like, is everybody okay? Am I going to be okay? Is my baby going to be okay? Um, and I was angry in that yoga class. I was, I was resentful of those women and, and sad. So I, I wanted to make sure that I talked about the fact that again, making a human being is an incredibly complicated task and um, it comes with complications and you're not alone if you experience them and you're not alone if they make you sad or mad or whatever they do or anxious in my case. <laughs> and like, let's, let's work with that. Let's, let's get you the support you need to make the pregnancy as comfortable as it can be. You know, in the case of hyperemesis, it may, you know, Amy Schumer, um, is just finishing up a pregnancy with hyperemesis and, um, the comedian. And I actually saw her perform and I could tell, I could tell how uncomfortable she was on the stage and how much effort it was taking for her to get through that. You know, if you experience that pregnancy may just suck. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, 
I'm glad you brought up Amy Schumer. I just watched her her Netflix show where she talks about her pregnancy. I loved it. I love her anyway. Like she's just so honest about like what women are going through and these things that we never talk about, but we're all experiencing. And I think it makes it more real when there's somebody who, you know, is is in Hollywood and is supposed to have. I, I just love when it's like people that are supposed to have everything, and then we realize they're struggling too. And it doesn't matter where you are and what position you're in. It can still suck and and. I think by her being honest um, in that way, other women can also see that, yeah, it, it can suck and it's okay that it, it can suck. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Um, you're never alone. Whatever your experience <laughs> is during this journey, I can guarantee you there is one to a thousand women out there or more who have experienced the same thing. Yeah. Well, and I just wonder if if in your yoga class, there may have been another woman who was scared to share the feelings that you shared, because I I think the statistics would be that you weren't the only one in that class experiencing what you were experiencing. That's that's a really good point. But but if you're surrounded by all these women saying that there might be someone who was feeling the same way as you, this isn't fair that they're all saying all this, but wasn't brave enough to share their own fears. Because there, I think there's a lot of shame around having those fears. Um, you know, you're supposed to be this happy, glowing mother and, and, you know, experiencing, you know, this beautiful pregnancy, and then you're not. And um, to share that, especially, you know, in a yoga class, everybody's like all zen, and they're all happy, and then you're not feeling that way. Um, so it was probably helpful. I would imagine for someone else that you shared that. Yeah, there's definitely been a lot of times over the course of pregnancy and being a mom where I've kind of said something and then felt the room go silent. Like, I was like, oh, it's very taboo. How dare you? That's not you're being honest. You asked me a question and I answered it honestly. Am I not supposed to do that? (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. Very taboo to say some of those things, I think. But um, I think that. A lot of women have probably thought them and we're probably thankful that it was said. Now, um, speaking of um, these difficult things, can you just tell us how somebody can um, prepare to breastfeed and what they can expect with that? Sure. So um, I want to start off by saying that um, I really support a mom's choice to feed her baby in whatever way works for her. So um, I'm not advocating breastfeeding, um, but I do think that if you want to breastfeed, I mean, I breastfed and I loved it. Um, and I do think that if you, and I recognize there's, there's lots of value to it, but I also think that, um, that, you know, everybody should make their own decision about the way, the, the way they want to feed their baby that's going to work for their family. And, and, um, you know, babies, <laughs> I'm married to a formula fed man who is, who's accomplished and lovely and loving. So, um, I really don't, uh, I don't have an agenda when it comes to how you feed your baby, except that I want you to feel comfortable and, and, um, and have it be as, as smooth an experience as possible. And, um, and I really think that, um, breastfeeding is a learned skill. And again, it's this thing where we sort of think it should just come naturally and be easy and blissful. Um, but it, it, it takes effort and time and, um, and, and a learning curve. So I think if you do want to breastfeed, one of the best things you can do is try to take a class during pregnancy. So you learn just a few tips to kind of, um, be ready with them. I, I took a class before my first daughter was born and, and taught the, and um, learned this one technique for latching that I did in the hospital and it worked right away. And I was so grateful I had learned that technique. Um, I mean, there's, 
if you've only got, you know, money for one session with a lactation counselor or one class, then I suppose you might want to save it for afterward in case you run into problems. But um, if your hospital offers it or if you, you know, if there's like a community center where there's breastfeeding classes taught and it's an affordable option, I would definitely recommend doing that before you give birth so that you have um, just kind of a a grounding in it. Um, And then the other thing I would do is find out what kind of support there will be at your birthing center or hospital. Will there be lactation consultants on call? Will there be classes you can attend? Um, And also looking into resources in your community, um, maybe having a couple lactation consultant numbers in your phone or knowing a class you can go to right away if you run into problems, just kind of having a network ready to go and then making use of it immediately. Even if you don't, I mean, luckily for me, I, there were things that were difficult about pregnancy and childbirth and, and having kids. Breastfeeding wasn't one of them for me, but I still went to the classes after um, after I gave birth. Just to, And she just said, you're doing great. And that was just so relieving to know that. Um, and so I think, like, go, just go to those classes, even if you think it's going well. You know, you never know um, what you might learn. And just to get the support, um, you know, ask for the lactation to con- consultant to come check in with you. Um, just reach out to whatever resources you have. Um, go to classes in your neighborhood, breastfeeding groups. Um, La Leche League is a great place to find support. Um, so I think uh, putting in place a plan for how you're going to learn to breastfeed um, and how you'll be supported while you do it is, um, is really helpful. And then I think also understanding that um, if you run into problems, um, there's help for that and there are other options. Um, there, have, there are times when breastfeeding is so difficult for women or when they're experiencing a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder um, where breastfeeding is, is either contributing to it or just making it really difficult. And it becomes one more thing you think you're supposed to be doing, but, um, but it can be contributing to sort of feeling badly, then it's okay to evaluate that and say like, is it, is it this important to me to breastfeed my child or is it more important for me to start thinking about, you know, whether I need to supplement or switch to formula in order to feel better emotionally and, and be more present during my feedings rather than being in pain or wondering if I'm producing enough. Um, you know, there can be different things. So I think many problems that arrive during, arise during breastfeeding can be worked through with the support of a, of a good lactation consultant and a group. But, um, but if you run into problems that just, can't resolve knowing that there are other options and that this is not a measure of whether you are a good mom or not. This is just a difficult biological task that doesn't always work out. Well, yeah, and I'm glad you you pointed that out because I know, like, yeah, as we've had this wonderful wave of uh, breastfeeding being natural, because way in the past it it wasn't something that people always did. Um, there is, um, you know, so, some people do struggle with it, and um, and then you know they I I know a lot of uh, women have told me when they're in that position they feel judged because they stop too soon, or they feel bad because you know breastfeeding is supposed to be better for the baby, and you know in the end. I think that that is a personal decision between you and your partner and your baby and um, and that, you know, it's not, none of anybody else's business what you're doing. Yeah, I think so. As long as you're providing your child <laughs> adequate nutrition, um, you know, uh, I think that I think that I, I just think we really we layer on. 
on so many tests of motherhood that are just unnecessary. You know, are you going to feed your child? I'm not saying that these can't be good choices for you, but we, we label all these choices with this moral freight. You know, you're a good mom or a bad mom. You know, are you letting your kid eat chicken nuggets or are you feeding them all organic food that you grew yourself? You know, I mean, there's so many ways to raise a kid. Um, and the most important thing is love and support for yourself as well as your children. And so I think um, to the extent that we can, we can start to loosen these stories and, and our grip on this idea of what makes a good mother, um, it's just for the benefit of all. Uh, I, I definitely agree with you. We're going to take a, a quick break, and we're talking today with Kate Rope, and we're discussing her book, Strong as a Mother. We'll be back shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you living a healthy and fit lifestyle? It's not just related to your physical well-being. It also means a healthier mind, confidence, improved health, stamina, and fitness. Talking with Tremaine brings it all to you. Host Tremaine Ellis, along with her husband and co-host David Ellis, will offer support, advice, guidance, and motivation to keep you in your best shape, both physically and mentally. Talking with Tremaine can be heard live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Sometimes it just seems that nobody understands. There's one individual who can help. If you're living with somebody who faces challenges such as autism, Asperger's, or other exceptional needs, you'll want to tune into Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the Challenge. Together, we'll uncover a variety of solutions to the challenges faced by individuals, their families, and teachers. Listen live every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Kate Rope. We're discussing her book, Strong as a Mother, How to Stay Healthy, Happy, and Most Importantly, Sane from Pregnancy to Parenthood. So, Kate, um, when we're expecting, how can we have a conversation with our partner about um, what's going to happen and how we're going to raise our child? Yeah, um, so I'm glad you asked that because that <laughs> The chapter I wrote on planning for co-parenting was kind of the most life-changing for me, even in my life as a mom to now a 7- and 11-year-old, because I think that I went into um, 
parenting with the idea that my, you know, my husband's a feminist, I'm a feminist, it's going to be egalitarian, and I just thought, that's that. And um, I didn't really look at what the specifics would be. Um, and in talking with experts and preparing, in, in writing this book about preparing for being parents, um, I realized that it actually helps to get really concrete about what you expect parenting to be like for you, and if you're raising your child with a partner, what they expect parenting to be like for them, and how you guys want to um, divvy up some roles, even very specifically nitty-gritty in the beginning, like, okay, if you're breastfeeding, then you're then your partner's changing diapers. Like, you're doing the input, they're doing the output. Um, you know, uh, who's going to handle the grocery shopping? Who's going to handle... And you can even get big picture about it. Like, who's going to be the person who talks to teachers down the road? Or who's going to be in charge of the pediatrician visits? Um, you know, if one partner works full-time and the other one doesn't, it's really easy. Um, or even if it's... even. If you both work full time, but you live, you know, but but we live in this world where mothers are are kind of considered more responsible for things. It's easy for it to get lopsided quickly and for it to creep up on you. Um, you know, I, I recently went away with my best friends from college and literally had to give my husband the address of the pediatrician and the name of our pediatrician because since moving here. Um, I've done all the pediatrician visits. So I think it's worthwhile just sort of as best you can thinking about how you want to divide up the labor and start out with a plan for that. And it can change. It can change as jobs change. It can change as your interests change. Um, but I think really setting out what, what you value, what you'd like to be doing, how you'd like to be supported and, and the same for your partner um, and really even putting it down on paper. Um, and then also having a conversation too about, you know, what's going to happen with your relationship and how will you manage conflict and, um, you know, talking through maybe some things you think are important when it comes to raising kids so you can kind of iron those out early on um, to just, you know, not to say it all can't change, but it's really worthwhile thinking about it during pregnancy. I wish I had done that. Um, but I have to say that I, I did make some changes in our parenting duties as a result of writing that chapter. So I was really grateful for all the advice I got from experts and, and other parents. Well, I think that's um, good to, well, it's good that you learned some stuff. I think that's why we do these things really. But also I think a lot of people don't talk about it. I think they expect that parenting is going to come naturally and then um, they realize it, it doesn't because even if you've already had a kid or two, the next one might need something completely different that the others didn't and might be out of what your knowledge. And so you can get challenged even with that, even if you've, you've done it a few times, all of a sudden you've got one one child is different and has different needs um, so it, it's important to also recognize that we we aren't gonna you know give birth and then suddenly know everything yeah or yeah or to understand that 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 just wanting things to be sort of equally shared does not mean that they will be <laughs> like just having this idea that we should share equally in parenting duties does not mean that's how it's going to roll out so you kind of have to be uh, conscious about it, be thoughtful about it. Yeah. So when somebody um, does have their baby, and we've already talked about um, postpartum, so the emotions that people can experience, but what else um, happens after people have a baby? Um, well, one thing we didn't, we actually didn't touch on was baby blues, which are um, 
up to 80% of women experience, which is um, basically really um, up and down emotions, not necessarily sadness, though it could be sadness, it could be, it could even be elation, but sort of just your feelings going up, it's kind of cycling um, in the in the first two weeks after you give birth, and that's due to the drop in hormones that occurs after delivery, um, and that's normal, and it should um, it should resolve on its own, and, and one of the signs that you might be experiencing something um, that, that might require professional support, like psychotherapy or um, medication is if it doesn't get better after two weeks or if you develop um, symptoms that start after two weeks. Um, so uh, that's one of the main ways people differentiate the baby blues between, say, postpartum depression or anxiety. Um, but just to know that that does happen, and there are things you can do to minimize the impact. I mean, there, you can't control what your hormones are doing, but you can you can make sure you get good sleep. You can plan um, to get good sleep, and sleep is something I talk about a lot in the book. But I think, in general, as a society, we totally undervalue the role sleep plays in our mental health. And if you can figure out how to get some decent sleep. I'm not saying you're going to sleep through the night as a new parent. I think that can help with all of the things that we've talked about today. Um, and so what I recommend is um, getting a full sleep cycle. So no, you're not going to sleep through the night when you have a new baby who needs to feed every two to three hours. But if you can get a three hour chunk of sleep or several three hour chunks of sleep, then you'll go through a full sleep cycle, which gets you to the more restorative phases of sleep and you will be better rested. So one way to do that is to trade off if you have if you are raising your baby with a partner, trade off um, nighttime duties with your partner, or um, asking a friend or a family member if they will um, do some nighttime duties. And if you're breastfeeding, you can pump your breast milk and have somebody feed. You know, maybe you skip one feeding, you slip through a feeding in order to get your three hours. Um, Another option, um, which isn't available to everybody, but uh, hiring a night nurse. Um, and actually, a couple of the moms that I interviewed for my book actually um, saved up for night nurses or asked people to donate money because they knew how critical it would be, particularly if they had to go back to work pretty soon after giving birth to have support at night. Um, and one of my friends, even, who I interviewed for the book, put it on her registry, which I thought was brilliant. And she was like, besides car seats, I can't imagine anything more important to being a parent than like the safety and health of your baby and you than get, getting good sleep. And I was like, good point. So um, I think getting creative, and I have lots of ways you can do it in the book, um, about splitting nighttime duties so that you get some deep restorative sleep away from the baby where you're not being disrupted by gurgles and cries. Um, so that is something in the early days that can really help with the baby blues and can also help with um, a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder, as well as good nutrition. Um, and just having people, having people around that are helpful and being able to set boundaries with people who maybe won't be helpful, you know, if like, it's okay to say, Oh, we're just adjusting to the new baby. Can we see you in a couple of weeks? If, if it's a friend who's going to come over and expect you to serve her dinner, you know, but on the other mm -hmm. hand, if you've got a mother-in-law who'll show up and like roll up her sleeves and do the dishes, then like invite her over, you know, I think that's something else I talk about in the book and you can do this during pregnancy, but you can also do it after bringing a baby home, whether through adoption or pregnancy, um, going through your friends and family and figuring out who, who's like really good to just chat with. And maybe I want to see that person a couple weeks after I've given birth or I've, 
brought the baby home, and um, but I don't want to see her right away because she's going to talk my ear off, and I really need to sleep that first week, or you know, or uh, who is likely to come over and just hold the baby while I go take a shower? Sort of thinking through what are your friends and family's strengths and weaknesses, and making use of of their time with you. They want to see the baby. They want to help you. So figure out you know when it makes sense for certain people to come and. And feeling okay setting boundaries and saying, you know what, it's just not a good time or, or, you know, not having two family members visit you at the same time from out of town and thinking that through so that you have um, the support you need, but also the space you need in the, in the beginning weeks and months. Well, I think that that's important, too, is understanding that you might need space, but you might need help. And so finding that that balance, especially if a mother-in-law has to come and stay with you, it's not always ideal because they're not, especially if they're not your mother, it doesn't mean you don't love them, but you may need space from somebody um, because you're not at your best and you're exhausted and you might be having those baby blues and then you've got somebody in your space, no matter what their good intentions are, it, it's important to recognize that it's it might not be the perfect setting. Yeah, I mean, and that it's okay to, to to think about your needs and speak up for them. I think that's kind of the gift of parenting is that for anyone for whom it's been hard to advocate for themselves, having a child somehow makes that easier. Um, and it's a great skill to practice. Um, and it gets easier the more you do it. Yeah, definitely. Now, um, one thing that a lot of women do worry about is uh, the changes that happen in their body when they have a baby and give birth. So what can women expect? Um, yeah, I think I think we have this emphasis on getting your body back. And, and I really would love it if we could just get rid of that phrase. Um, because honestly, whatever your body feels and looks like after, um, after pregnancy or after new motherhood... Um, there's no going back. There's only going forward. There's only going into this new world um, and and feeling good about your body during it. And so I think there's, you know, we have a very body conscious society. There's a lot of like, have you lost the baby weight? Um, you know, I want to get my body back. I want to look good again, you know. And um, I think one thing that we forget is that our body, if, if we've been pregnant and given birth, just went through a monumental experience and just did so much work for us. And so whatever it may look like, um, trying to have a little love for the fact that it, it, it brought a person into this world and that that was hard work and that now it needs to rest and, and be flabby and just give yourself time. So I think that's, um, one thing. I mean, there's a whole nother thing, which is, you know, if, if you're having any kind of like injury related to delivery, if you're having, you know, peeing or, you know, things or pain down there, making sure you get that addressed and understand that you don't need to, you know, that you can be in, in conversations with your healthcare provider to make sure that, you know, your body is recovering appropriately, but also understanding that it needs to recover and, um, and giving it grace and space to do that. Well, and I definitely agree. I mean, you see things on social media where someone's like, in two months, I got, you know, this back and, and I did this and look how amazing it is. And then you've got women who are like, great, I can't, I still can't walk after two months yep. because I, I had um, certain things happen during my pregnancy, whatever, or my delivery, whatever happens. And, um, you know, everybody's journey is different and every pregnancy is different. So that person who was able to work out right away, 
may have had things very, very easy, whereas you may have struggled more and had more complications. And so that can put this huge amount of weight on somebody who's trying to compare their their situation to someone else's. And I don't think it's that easy and that straightforward. No, and especially if you're comparing yourself to a celebrity whose job it is to maintain their body a certain way and who has a personal trainer that helps them and a chef, personal chef, that yeah. helps them do that two weeks after they give birth, you know? And they have, um, a, they have a night nurse too, right? And a so, night nurse. They have yeah. all the support. And I'm not saying yeah. they don't have their struggles too, and I'm so grateful for uh, the celebrities out there who have shared them, like Chrissy Teigen and... Um, you know, Hayden Penetier and Alyssa Milano and all these uh, people who have spoken out about their struggles. I'm grateful to them. But, uh, but in general, what we see is this really, um, you know, manufactured artificial uh, new motherhood when we're, when we're seeing celebrity new motherhood. And, and that is not what it looks like when you're on the couch and you don't even, I mean, I was thinking about if your mother-in-law is in your house, you don't even want to put your shirt on because your nipples hurt from breastfeeding you know, and you're like flabby and weepy and you have a new baby and you haven't washed your hair in three days, you know, and that is more the reality. Um, you know, and sometimes when I've been in those moments, I've, I sort of imagine like uh, a bird's eye view of my house and, and seeing me sitting on the couch and then could you like, and then you widen out from there and how many new mothers all around are sitting on the couch and similar disarray feeling all alone. But like when you look from space, there's, you know, thousands of us. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, I want to thank you for joining us today. If anybody is listening and wants more information about your book or um, to contact you, how can they do so? Yeah. Um, so they can find my book anywhere books are sold. Your local bookstore is a great place to look and, and support them. Um, also online at places like Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And then you can find uh, my writing and also links to my book and um, talks and things like that at katerope.com. Uh, and I also just wanted to say, if there are any uh, moms listening who are struggling, I wanted to let them know about Postpartum Support International, which is this awesome international organization that is there to support moms during and families during and after pregnancy for any struggles you go through. And you can find them at postpartum.net, or you can call their helpline at 800-944-4773. I'm on the board of Postpartum Support International of Georgia, um, and um, they're just a great resource, and, and they're here to let you know that um, they have this motto, uh, you're not alone, um, you're, it's not your fault, and with help you will be well. Oh, well, thank you. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a, a great show. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. So again, we were talking today with Kate Rope, and her book is called Strong as a Mother. If you want more information about my story or what I went through on my journey back to health, you can find that on my website at dr-risk.com. Don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platform. Thank you so much for listening today. Be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week.